All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to our uh, Sunday school, and we are continuing in just war theory. So let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started in our discussion this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to consider how to live as Christians, especially as uh, our Lord and Savior told us that there would be wars and rumors of wars all the way to the end to his return, that war is a reality in our world until the return of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that uh, you would give us wisdom as we uh, continue in, to think about just war theory, to apply it uh, to our lives, and to, as uh, civilians, as Christians, may you grant us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have, um, uh, so we're getting towards the end of our study on just war theory. Um, planning to have one more, at least one more session next week uh, as we wrap it up to kind of get some practical application, discuss some, uh, some scenarios and things to go through, maybe talk about Nagasaki and Hiroshima and kind of dropping atomic weapons and uh, terrorism, kind of follow up with some things, uh, some loose ends and some applications. So, uh, so we'll get into that next week. Uh, but uh, so far, uh, we, have, um, we have covered um, different aspects. It's interesting, uh, just war theory is one of the things where uh, um, there are those who call it just war theory. There are those who call it uh, just war thinking. <laughs> just because they're just highlighting that we, this is a conversation that we're taking part in that has gone back uh, you know, um, well over a thousand years. And so we're just taking part in this grand conversation that's been continuing forward, and we're even continuing to add developments even to that conversation uh, as, we, as our world changes. And so, um, uh, so, uh, so we talked about, um, so first of all, we talked about just cause. Now, what is, uh, so what is just cause when it comes to just war thinking? Right reason. Yeah, right reason to do what? To go to war, right? You have the right reason. You have, the, you have to have the right authority. You have to have the right intention, the right goal, in order to have just cause, right? You can go to war to try to um, right a wrong. There's that aspect of it, but that needs to be clear. And so, uh, so we have just cause, and then we also have just conduct, And uh, just conduct, um, and uh, so this is just conduct. Now, there is a separation that they'll make. They'll say just conduct in war and then just conduct after war. Yeah. So, um, so there's, there's also that as well. Um, and so, uh, so just conduct in war, and there were two aspects that we particularly focused on in just conduct in war. Does anyone remember those? Yes, yeah, yeah. Who is a target? Who is a legitimate target of war? Um, does anyone remember what we call that? Yeah, like who is a legitimate target? Combatants, non-combatants. And so it's, uh, we call it a discrimination, right? discrimination, yeah. So discrimination. And what was the other one? Proportionality. Yeah, proportionality. Is it... Can anyone tell me what that is? That, mm-hmm. that war, that what you're doing is in uh, 
proportion to what mm-hmm. what happened. Well, actually, that, that is an aspect. There is an aspect of proportionality to just cause that, that, that you have to have. Specifically, in just conduct, proportionality has to deal with the amount of force we bring to bear. So, um, so we're not going to drop, uh, you know, a nuclear warhead on a um, a ten man enemy unit, right? So, like, we're just like there's an act, there's a limit to force for humane reasons uh, that we're allowed to use, and also there are certain weapons uh, uh, that we are not allowed to use ever because they induce unnecessary suffering. Um, so, biological weapons, chemical weapons. Glass line bombs, you know the, uh, you know just these types of things that are just meant to inflict suffering and pain, but don't actually have a, um, but they're not able to um, uh, effectively uh, discriminate targets, and also they induce um, un- unjust suffering even upon the enemy. So we do place those limits on ourselves. Now you did say though there was a risk factor in the proportionality because as the risk goes, in other words, yeah. if you do whatever you have to do. Mm-hmm. In some cases, yeah, whatever. it depends on the stakes, yes, right? What's stakes. at stake? So yeah. if, um, yeah, so it, so if the stakes are low for us, then our 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 bar for what we are willing to do is much higher. But as the threat level increases, um, then then what we're willing to the bar, the threshold for what we're willing to do begins to lower um, because uh, so it's like yeah, we're not ready to go nuke Japan straight out the gate, but then as the stakes go higher, you know, then, you know, it's different, you know, several times said, you know, it's different when we're sending our soldiers over to another country, those are different stakes than if the enemy is at our front door, than if the enemy is in our city, in our town, then what we're willing to do, but then even then we still want to operate as much as possible within the just war framework, as much as we can. And so that's, but it, but even just saying that, you know, there's just it gets messy and it gets really hard and it gets really difficult. Thankfully, modern technology has not just made us more effective in being able to kill people, and but actually has been able to uh, uh, the way we use it and design it is been we we look for ways to actually make our weapons more pointed, uh, more controlled. More like because we just want to take out the enemy. We just want to take out the the target. We're not just trying to get as many civilians as we can or as many people as we possibly can. We can just keep making bigger bombs. But we keep. But our weapons manufacturing keeps and private companies even like Lockheed Martin. Uh, those they continue to develop weapons that are very specific, targeted, and controlled, so that we we can be better at discriminating between civilian and combatant. And so, and that is a good thing. So. Um, so discrimination um, and and proportionality, and we focus on that. We focus on that, and um, and so we spent we spent a lot of time on um, on these. Spent a couple of weeks in this one alone, and we talked about the history of just war theory. And so uh, and so we've been doing just kind of big picture. We're just we're trying to give a framework of how to think about war, and just trying to get us to be able to understand war from a Christian perspective. In different um, with different categories that we're understanding about uh, cause and conduct. So, uh, so but this brings us to at this, at this point in the study, uh, we we talk about something um, that we call the warrior ethic. That's that is today's uh, uh, topic, and 
Um, now, what, uh, what's it, what, even just from this title, um, uh, what does warrior, the word warrior, kind of conjure up in your mind? Soldier, fighter. Right? Yeah. Now, but when we attach the word warrior to ethic, yeah, there's principles uh, that guide that, uh, guide that. And so, um, so, so at this point, what we usually do is we we're talking big picture because ever like a lot of this stuff here, um, the buck stops with command in the military. The buck stops with uh, the guys who are making the decisions, who are who are saying go, like who are saying giving a go to the mission. The planners, uh, the, the 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 generals, the chiefs, like the, the ones who are saying go do this. Like this is uh, um, this is uh, you know give you an example give you an example before of the when um, uh, when um, President Trump uh, had called off an airstrike that was a retaliation um, for uh, for something that Iran had done because it was going to result in the death of 150 civilians. Right, and he did it at the last minute. Now, um, and it was like and and whatever and people were of mixed feelings about that decision whether we should have done it or not done it, but. One thing that was clear, that came clear through him was, if I say yes, 150 people are going to die. Like, that responsibility lands on the president's shoulders, because he says, go. And it lands on the president's shoulders more than it lands on the shoulders of the pilot who actually pushes the button to drop the bomb. So, he has a role to play, but the only reason he's doing it is because of that. But, now... That doesn't mean, because this raises a problem, um, so in World War II, after the World War was over, there were a lot of German soldiers who had done a lot of bad things, and what was a common excuse that was given? I was just following the orders. Just doing what I was told. Just doing what I was told. You're in the military, you got to do what you're told. And so they told me to go gas those women and children, you know, and, and, and you know, and to... You know, to go do these things, and so I did it because I was ordered to do it. And it's like, so does you know, does that cover everything to say, you know, well, the the military commanders are the ones who bear the the real burden of responsibility there because they're the ones who are ordering that out. So it's just you can only blame Hitler. You know what I mean? Like, is that it, or is what responsibility do individual soldiers, uh, um, uh, military personnel have? Because also there's a functional reality, which is that in order for the military to function, what must soldiers do? Obey orders. And it can't be like, well, commander, is it really just for me to go? It's like, get out there and do what I told you to do, right? <laughs> like, that's, like that's at that time. And so, so this gets really complicated as you're trying to figure it out. And so, um, but this is what, um, this is what we talk about um, this is why we talk about the warrior ethic, though. There is an honor. There is, a, there is an ethic. There is a, uh, what we, call, we can call virtues that go with being a military soldier, but also even just being a civilian that we can talk through, especially as Christians. We talk about virtues as being Christians, Christian virtues. And, and, those, and these matter because they have to do with, uh, um, with us and how we respond. Because we are also people who are under authority, Correct. Yeah, and so and so we're under authority, and so we may we receive at times lawful orders from certain authorities, police, 
firefighters in certain situations, you know, emergency personnel who are saying, go here, do that, stop doing that, you know? And so, uh, and so, you know, uh, but what, you know, what basis, you know, what uh, responsibility do we bear within that, right? Uh, we can't just, you know, if we get commanded to go do something evil, you know, uh, then, you know, do we, well, the policeman just told me to do it. You know, it's kind of like, well, that's not going to fly necessarily, right? But again, that, that can get really complicated, especially if somebody has a gun on you. So let's, let's talk, though, first about, um, we're going to talk about first about virtues, and then um, secondly, we're going to talk about just war theory and um, kind of uh, some involvement. I've got some notes here from Matt, uh, uh, actually, that he went and um, uh, interviewed a couple of his professors over at the, the War College uh, just the other day, sent me an email, because I, I, he told me he was going to do it, and I was like, I was like ask them what civilians should do with just war theory, what like Christian civilians should do with just war theory. And he's like, okay, I'll ask him. And, um, and uh, so he sent me some notes back from that, from that, and he gave me his own thoughts as well. And he said to say hi. So, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, we have an active researcher, just war theory right now, just feeding us, uh, feeding us intel. But no, he's, uh, so it's, it's really great. So he's, uh, Matt is with us here. Uh, and then hopefully if, if there's time, um, we will talk about self-defense. And if we don't get into self-defense, we'll save it for next week. Okay, because uh, that is an application of just war theory uh, for us here. So, so first, let's talk about uh, Christian virtues. If, if someone was to come to you and say, "Hey, um, what are uh, um, uh, Christian virtues? What are some Christian virtues? Um, are there any texts that would come up, come to mind, or specific virtues that would arise in your mind?" Fruit of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, yeah, yeah, fruits of the Spirit. So, um, so let's see, let's see if we can do it without looking up. So, let's see, what's the first one? Love. Love. Okay. Joy. Peace. Peace. Patience. Patience. Gentleness. Kindness. Self-control. Gentleness. Faithfulness and self-control. Did we miss any? Goodness. Goodness. There we go. Can't spell. Self-control. All right, and then is it goodness? So we have these Christian virtues, and um, and there are different ways to do these, to talk about these, especially as you apply them to um, uh, to just war, as we think about war. And so, and so there are um, there are several that are listed um, that have come about through the various studies. And so, there was a, a Christian uh, pastor. From the early church named Ambrose, and he listed four um, uh, virtues uh, in the just war tradition. What he called prudence, justice, courage, and temperance. 
My understanding is temperance is just an old-fashioned word for self-control. <laughs> so, because essentially it's moderation, right? It's generally speaking, it's kind of moderation in things. And so, uh, but to moderate yourself, you need self-control. So, so it's basically a, a word that, that for self-control. And then um, in the book, um, Just War's Christian Discipleship, which is a lot of the background to this study by uh, Daniel Bell, uh, he adds the word equity, but he doesn't mean it in a lot of the political ways that are that word is used today. And then um, the Matt, for his part, actually added four more. So, uh, so he added faith, forgiveness. Goodness, uh, patience, and fidelity. So, uh, um, so the, is there a way that how uh, can can we uh, how does some of these possibly relate to some of these over here. I know there's, I know there's a, is there a direct correlation between any of them? Patience and patience. Yeah, you got, you got a master there, yeah. Yep, yeah, you got, you got patience and patience, right? You said temperance and self-control, you said we're pretty yeah. much the same thing. Yeah, temperance and self-control there. Forgiveness yeah. and peace are very, very related. Yeah, for, yeah forgiveness yeah, for, uh, forgiveness uh, and peace over yes. here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And love. Yeah. And, uh, and love too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Fidelity and faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Faithfulness and fidelity. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that kind of the same? Yeah. 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 Huh. Oh, in faith, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Tie those together. Losing my track here. All right. All right. Kindness and forgiveness. I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Kindness, forgiveness. And they get, they get overlap. It's not a one-for-one, so. Justice and gentleness probably are more related than we. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. All right. There you go. Okay. See here. Yeah, let me see. Uh, let me check my notes here. So um, the equity would be the ability to have insight into how to act in a novel situation that is beyond the rules yet in a manner that is consistent with the spirit and goal of existing rules and laws. So I'll read that again. This is, and this, is, this, is, this comes from Daniel Bell's book. So the ability to have insight into how to act in a novel situation. What's a novel situation? Yeah, unusual, something new, something that you haven't encountered before. So, uh, so the ability to have insight into how to act into a new and, you know, situation you've never been in that is beyond the normal rules, yet to act within that weird situation 
in a way that is consistent with the spirit and goal of the existing rules and law. Now that's what? Equity. Equity. Yeah, that's, that's what he means by equity in war. And, and that, that idea. So, what about prudence and goodness? Where that go? Equity kind of would, it would, it would definitely relate to justice, right? And then, um, and self-control. Because you may want to react extremely if, it, if they're breaking the rules, so I get to break the rules. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, they're responding and acting in ways that are unfair and unkind, so... I get to act in ways that, you know, it's like that you'd have to have some measure of self-control. And goodness, too. What because you know, the, whole, the whole thing with goodness yeah. is that you, you want, well, you yeah. want to be fair. Yeah, goodness and, and equity. Yeah. 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 And in that way, yeah. And that even if they're treating us that way or acting that way, we shall not do that. They We're not going to yes. stoop there. We're not going to go there. There are lines that we will not cross. Um, prudence. Um, uh, Sheila, you said prudence was connected to what? Goodness, but yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, this, this brings up you know, this brings up the question is, if there are lines that we won't cross, then why do we have a stockpile of chemical weapons? Um, uh, but then, but then, but then people will say, well, we have they're a deterrent. Like we're not actually going to use them, but that we have to have them to keep other people who have them from using them. Like, like, and so that's the argument. You know, but we have no plans to actually use them. But then the question is, but would you actually use them if they use them as they have been used in like Syria, you know, and just like, would we deploy them? And it's like, we wouldn't. But the fact that we have them still act functions as a deterrent. There's, a, there's an active debate about whether or not, because it's the thing. It's like, if we don't want nukes, well, let's just get rid of our nukes. It's like, well, we can't do that. Why? Because they are a deterrent against people who have nukes. Who would threaten bad things to us if we didn't have them? Right. So, so, like, we have these weapons that we don't want to use, we are not going to use, we have zero plans to use, but we have to simply even just have them. They have to exist in our arsenal and we have to be able to deploy them. Um, that's the big question now with Russia is they've got nukes. How effective are they going to be at deploying them? Because they haven't been very effective at deploying anything else in, in, this, in this war in Ukraine. So, how effective are they actually going to be in, in deploying these nukes? They say that they've got state-of-the-art whatever, but they said they had state-of-the-art everything else. So, you know, um, or is it a bunch of inoperable, you know, rusty buckets, uh, you know, over at their silos? You know, what is, what is the actual situation? So, um, yeah, so, uh, so as we talk, so now prudence, um, prudence is a, a kind of judgment that is, it's related to equity in this way, but it says it's a kind of judgment that is able to assess a situation, identify what is at stake, and how various rules and virtues come into play. So prudence is to be able to look at a situation and to figure out how to operate, right? So um, how, to, how to operate and kind of to see all the things at place. What is really at stake here? What is needed how do we operate within the framework of just war and, and biblical principles um, and international law if you're talking about um, military conflicts? So, um, well, it's and, just that's the conversation you just had. Yeah. It's prudent to keep nuclear weapons mm-hmm. whether we want to use them or not uh-huh. because of that. That's, that's prudence. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So, it's, so you, if you get into, if you just operate by principled idealism, basically, 
you know, wouldn't it be great if peace, let's give peace a chance. And so you get rid of all your weapons. Well, it's like, well, then get ready to get taken down, right? Because unfortunately, we live in a world that is marked by war. I mean, I've mentioned in prayer, but we talked about in the study before that Jesus himself said there will always be wars and rumors of wars all the way to the end. War is a reality of human life on this planet until Christ returns. And so we have to figure out how to operate as Christians in that reality. And so... Prudence suggests good judgment, which really is what we would call wisdom. Yes, yeah, biblically, yeah, the biblical word that we would use for that is... Um, is uh, is wisdom, right? So wisdom is essentially the right application of knowledge. So it's like we know plenty of people who are smart, but they're not wise, right? Um, none of us in here, so right? So all wise in here, but uh, so um, but uh, but but you know we've seen that where someone can have lots of knowledge, but they're very unwise in their life, right? So and so. Um, uh, we we you know, we've said it before. You know, it's like PhDs don't give don't mean you're a wise person, right? It means you're very knowledgeable in a very specific area, but it doesn't mean you're actually a wise person. Uh, so, um, uh, so so we so we um, so as we're looking at these, we, so they see that there's a lot we can. So you can use different words and things as we're looking at at this, and they they, they might bring out different aspects as we're bringing out from. Uh, these um, the fruit of the spirit uh, on an individual basis, or even on the community, the church community specifically. But as we broaden out into thinking about international relationships and how nations should be um, should govern themselves when it comes to their conduct in war, um, we can see that there are uh, you know Christian principles that particularly can um, relate here, but also specifically to um, people in combat, but also as civilians, as civilians, um, but you know, uh, oh, this actually—I'm uh, going to plan on read this later. But there was a a really great um, article put out in that last October by um, uh, on National Review by H.R. McMaster, and um, and so he's uh, and so he says this. Uh, he's talking about uh, the just war tradition, how important it is for civilians to understand just war. He says. Understanding war and warriors is necessary if societies and governments are to make sound judgments concerning military policy. American citizens' expectations help the military establish standards that guide recruitment, training, personnel policies, and even how forces organize and modernize to deter war and defend the nation. I'm going to pause there. These get a bit more. But, uh, but do you hear what he said there? That he's saying, like, it's important for the public to be informed because the public, essentially, the public consciousness is going to actually inform the recruitment and training and operation of our military personnel. If the, if the societal ethic is just kill everyone else who gives a rip, that's going to affect how our military personnel are trained and operate, Right? Uh, and so we, and so we, um, we have our society has very high standards for our military personnel and how they operate and whether or not you know casualties uh, can be avoided. Like we, there, we have a very high standard as a society for that, and so, um, and so that affects how our military is. Per- it's it's not just all public, right? It's in the military itself, 
but it's, it is informed by that as a nation. He goes on, in democracies, if citizens do not understand war or are unsympathetic to the warrior ethos, the thing we're talking about here, it will become difficult to maintain the requirements of military effectiveness and to recruit the best young people into military service. The warrior ethos is what makes combat units effective, and because it is foundational to norms involving professional ethics, discipline, and discrimination in the use of force, the warrior ethos is essential to making war less inhumane. And so he's saying it's important for us to understand this as a society but because that's going to affect the soldiers that get recruited up into the military ranks and how they operate themselves, their internal personal morality. Because this is, because this is, this is coming down to when we talk about the individual soldier, that they need to have these things going on inside of them. They need to have a strong moral compass because they are going to have uh, the ability to use lethal force. And so they need to have discretion in how they do it. And so, uh, and so if they do get an immoral command to go bomb this village because there's a terrorist hiding out there and they're like, there's a bunch of women and children there, there's too many, like I just, we, can't, this is, uh, we can't do it, then if there is an actual, obviously un, unlawful, sinful command that is given, then it is the duty and responsibility of the soldier to disobey that command, especially if he's a believer. Um, and so that's like that. That is the, that is necessary. But if not, um, but if not, uh, then they are responsible to carry out their orders. Um, but at the same time, as they're going through, and you know, we've heard horror stories from Vietnam and where certain uh, and and just throughout wars where even American soldiers they just they didn't have this going on. Some of them, and it showed because of what they did to some people. And now they operate because they said, oh, these people are civilians of an enemy, enemy populace. It doesn't really matter what I do, right? And so I can do what I want. And so, um, so, their, so their, their morality, the morality of this, of this really, really does uh, matter. It's important for us to understand, understand it. Yeah. You know, like you you should not have picked him up him over the head with the bat. He mm-hmm. just said something that was you didn't like. You know yeah. what I mean is Sounds like experience. <laughs> You've been to my house. <laughs> but, but the fact is those were taught so much more than they are now. And mm-hmm. and I don't mean Christian families yeah. or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. But it's even the TV encourages fight back, mm-hmm. don't have forgiveness. You know, even the things that we allow our children to, to yeah. see, it's mm-hmm. just. Yeah, we, we had a we had a more agreed upon morality, even though even if even if it wasn't necessarily a like full out and out like Christian morality in the sense of there was a more societal um, norms based upon Christian morality that was generally accepted. Like the Ten Commandments were fairly widely understood and and known, whereas today they're not. So, so 
Um, uh, yeah, and so when it comes to forgiveness, it's interesting because uh, Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, Jesus speaking. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who, uh, who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, uh, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, now we've talked about in combat, in war, um, this doesn't mean that this passage would mean that a soldier is not allowed to kill the enemy. Because, because God has given what to the government? The sword. The sword, right? He's given the right to defend the nation, to restrain evil, and to and so and that will at times require bloodshed. And so, uh, but at the same time, it doesn't require vengeance. It doesn't require um, the so like so you know can soldiers can soldiers be able to um, you know go into let's say or even just a civilian population, you know. We were attacked on 9-11, right, by terrorists. And, it, and, uh, and so, and we went out uh, across the ocean to go remove the, their capability of doing that again. And, you know, granted, there's, there's lots of debate about how effective we are, but we are effective enough that it didn't happen twice, right? So we haven't had another 9-11. We haven't had another situation like that. So... If we're doing that, um, so if so, we're 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 going we're doing that. Um, but uh, you know, but you know, would we then go so far to say, well, you know what, Afghanistan was harboring this uh, these terrorists, so therefore we will just we're just going to reduce Afghanistan to ash. Like is that is that a just war response? Is that is that how the attitude of our nation should be? It's like, well, well, no. We should want Afghanistan to thrive, but that that's going to require still at the same time for their good and for ours the toppling of you know this terrorist regime who, God help us, is now back in power. But um, but uh, um, but but that but but you see what we're saying here. It's like as we need to think about this as Christians. It's kind of. Whereas as a nation, what are the principles that we can apply in terms of we don't exact vengeance even if we go to restore peace or we go to um, go over in terms of um, removing the ability to cause further harm, right? So because uh, it was both what we did in responding to 9-11 was both reactive in the sense of to go right or wrong that was done but it was also preemptive because we wanted to prevent another attack. So it was a combination of, of righting a wrong and uh, a preemptive strike to prevent further, further damage. So, so as we think about these things, like as a, as a citizenry, that's what we think of. And so, um, and, so uh, and this is where, you know, Pam, it goes back to your point just a moment ago, where... We need to have a morality as citizens of the United States and, of course, as Christians. But that in terms of how we operate as a society, it says these are the things we do, these are the things that we don't do. And even if an enemy will stoop to that level, we will not do that. 
You know, we're not going to uh, hide behind uh, the defenseless, right? We're not going to use people as human shields to do that. We're not going to go over there and do and go, um, you know, plant bombs in civilian centers and just blow them up, you know. And so it's like we operate by a different ethic and we hold our military to a different ethic. And that's uh, and so now what is one of the most um, what is an indirect way that we can influence how the military operates as civilians who are not in the military? And we do it several times a year. Voting. 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 Yeah. So uh, voting our politicians, right? Our, uh, so basically, you know, we need to know what our politicians' attitudes are towards the military, towards war. And, um, and, and this is even more important because um, I think the estimate is 1% of our nation is military. Yeah. It's about 1%. And so there are a lot of people who don't know anybody in the military, right? Um, and, there are, and, and, uh, and so it's funny. It's either you know a lot of people in the military or you, don't, you barely know anybody in the military, it seems like. <laughs> so um, and a lot of, it depends on a lot where you live. You know, we're in a very respectful pro-military area in the sense of like, it, it just like, you know, we're, you know, People think we thank military folks for their service. We're grateful for them. You know what I mean? Like that's very common in the South, you know, but that's not everywhere. Right. And so um, but it's important for us to be informed and to, and to be able to have an understanding of that so we can um, uh, care for the mil- our military folks. And especially that it also applies to um, we have a, we have a, the naval air base here. Right. And a guard and a guard base. And a gar- and a guard base. And so especially when we have military folks in our church, one of the things that we always do, and I always talk to our military folks when they come in and they're going to be here for a few years, is say, hey, we are here to love you and care for you. Like we want you to be involved and to participate in our life, but we also want to be there to help you and to support you because even non-deployment military life is very hard on families. And so, you know, how can we help? If, because they send these de- guys out, uh, you know, two weeks at a time sometimes, two, three weeks at a time. And if you've got, you know, a wife with, with young kids at home, that can get tough, especially if you have an emergency or something like that. So, you know, just, just thinking through those things, it just helps, it helps and support and strengthen um, our, our, our armed forces. So, that, so these are all just things to consider and think through. And we just got about two minutes. So, um, one of the, one, the last thing I do want to highlight is, and so we'll have to talk about self-defense next week, but the last thing I want to highlight was, um, uh, and, this was, this was, and this, is, this also was brought up just recently in, this, in that terrible shooting in Texas, um, and what apparently it looks like the police failed to do, um, in that when you put on the military uniform, what are you saying you are prepared to do? To give your life, right? And that is not a light thing to say. It's not a light thing to take on that uniform. Because it's saying, um, it's saying, I am willing to give my life in defense of the innocent, in the, in the defense of my nation, right? I am willing to give my life for this. And so, um, and so, these, and so that is part of this as well. And so, um, and so that when, uh, and uh, just talk, what I was just talking with, um, uh, it was just it was talking when when Liz was visiting, um, and uh, uh, and you know she she was sharing how it was just kind of like the um, 
it, well, it, we came, it just came up in conversation how um, you can almost forget here at the base where these guys are training in their, they're training in their jets that they're, they're still training to put their lives on the line. You know, and it's always putting your life on the line to get one of those trainer jets and go up in the air. So, so like, so even even here, even though it's like way off, they're domestic, they're at the base, like they're not deployed, they're not in active combat. Um, their families are there on base or or at, you know at base housing or whatever. Like even there, they're still putting their lives on the line. And so to be able to just that there is an aspect of self sacrifice that is there in the military that we need to make sure that we always remember. Um, uh, and, and not forget uh, as we go as we uh, as we go through as we continue to think about these things. And I just want to share this as we close. I'm going to share this story. Um, in 1952, this was a uh, um, this was a Medal of Honor that was awarded in, during the Korean War um, to Hospital Corpsman Third Class Edward Benfold. And the um, and this is the uh, this is the write up um, of for it. Uh, it says, for gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty while serving in operations against enemy aggressor forces, when his company was subjected to heavy artillery and mortar barrages, followed by a determined assault during the hours of darkness by an enemy force estimated at battalion strength, um, HC3C Ben Fold, that's the guy, Resolutely moved from position to position in the face of intense hostile fire, treating the wounded and lending words of encouragement, leaving the, uh, leaving the um, protection of his sheltered position to treat the wounded when the platoon area in which he was working was attacked from both the front and the rear. He moved forward to an exposed ridgeline where he observed two Marines in a large crater. As he approached the two men to determine their condition, an enemy soldier threw two grenades into the crater, while two other enemies charged the position. Picking up a grenade in each hand, HC3C Benfold leapt out of the, cre- the, the, cre- the crater and hurled himself into the onrushing hostile soldiers, pushing the grenades against their chests, killing both of the attackers. Mortally wounded while carrying out this heroic act, H.C. 3 Benfold, by his great personal valor and resolute spirit of self-sacrifice in the face of almost certain death, was directly responsible for saving the lives of his two comrades. His exceptional courage reflects the highest credit upon himself and enhances the finest traditions of U.S. Naval service. He gallantly gave his life for others. And so this is, you know, this is, this is that, and that really does help to embody just give us an example of that embodying self-sacrificial spirit. And even then, we can tie that to the, the Christian virtue of love. Because Jesus said, no greater love is there than this, than one would lay his life down for his brother. All right. Thank you all.